0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. This morning's scripture is from Matthew chapter 11 verses 27 through 29. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was Christmas Eve of 1870, during the Franco-Prussian War, when the German and French soldiers were waging intense battle against one another. And in the midst of sporadic gunfire, a French soldier stood atop one of the parapets above the trench, obviously unarmed and vulnerable. And he began to sing Cantique de Noël, the original French French version of O Holy Night. Both sides watched and especially listened in stunned silence. And as the French soldier concluded, a German soldier reciprocated with a popular German carol. And then together they sang a well-known Austrian carol. And to honor Christmas, there was something like a 24-hour ceasefire. That's how the unconfirmed legend goes, at least. A moment of peace in the midst of the weariness of a grueling battle. How many of us could use a moment of peace in the midst of the weariness of a grueling 2020? I don't mean to liken our current sheltering situation to the horrors of war, but I do still believe that we are living in a traumatic time. Whenever someone has to remain consistently vigilant in response to the possibility of a deadly threat, there's going to be some level of rewiring that happens in the human mind. I was talking about that with a friend earlier this week. He was sharing how he was feeling worn down, and he would typically pride himself as a person who could take on just about anything. But I think the level of discontinuity, the challenges we face which can change almost daily, the type of creative problem-solving that requires of us a regular attention to that, the vigilance against illness, the adaptations to new realities at work, the different responsibilities for facilitating education at home, the possibility of supply shortages. And up until very recently, no idea about how we were going to emerge from our current three choices of spending nearly a year hiding out in isolation or risking serious illness by venturing into a world with reasonable precautions or throwing caution to the wind because we've simply had enough. It's not war, but it is wearying. And I don't know if you found this, but it even takes me more energy to find the words that I want to use when talking to someone casually, because I just don't have as many in-passing conversations these days. It was in May that I read about a phenomenon called Zoom fatigue, which, again, is not like digging a ditch, but it is real. Our minds are trying to compensate for the lack of nonverbal cues we get in in in-person, face-to-face conversations. And we're always on guard for at-home interruptions. We miss out on the social boost we'd otherwise get from casual catch-ups in the workplace that offer more than data sharing. We become super self-conscious about our own facial expressions because we can see them more than we would if we were talking to somebody in person. And finally, the sense of timing is simply off, is that internet lag? Are you deeply listening, or did you fall asleep while I was speaking? It's hard to tell. Maybe not all of us are weary, but plenty of us are, and it feels a bit like we need some relief. That's partly what Christmas brought to a weary world, a declaration of peace and a glorious morning on the horizon. So today we're going to hear heaven's invitation to a weary world. that leads us to our first lesson this morning. The birth of Jesus brought an invitation of peace to the weary. The birth of Jesus brought an invitation of peace to the weary. In Luke chapter 2, these familiar verses, we read that, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased." There weren't too many folks you could find in Jesus' day who were more weary than the shepherds at night. If you visit Bethlehem today, one of the popular sites is referred to as Shepherd's Field. It's an area that has a large, wide-open, grassy plain to give an idea of what the local grazing grounds would have looked like. But nearby, there are several caves, some natural, some hewn into formations of rock nearby. These mouths of these caves would be specifically narrow in order to keep out predators and it would grow wider in the cave the further you went in. The idea was that at night, the shepherds would corral the sheep into these caves, which would serve as a natural sheep pen. And the shepherds would set fires towards the front, maybe clear out something like a a sitting slab near the mouth of the cave where they could see possible predators or even thieves and they would place themselves strategically where nobody could get to the animals without first having to get through their protection, and the animals couldn't get loose without their notice. It was believed that Jesus would have been born into a place very much like that, but not right there at Shepherd's Field, of course. That's where we imagine those night-shift herdsmen would have been tending their flocks in the dark of night, maybe warming by the fire, maybe cutting up with one another, or maybe just having a meal. Their days were already long, and the day wasn't quite over for them. There was one more cave that they would be visiting on that very special evening. The angel greeted the shepherds by saying, Do not fear. They were told of a child they'd find resting, maybe sleeping, lying in a manger. They were told of the peace that, would God, that God would grant to those whom he favors. And that night, they were standing beneath the open faucet of God's favor. They were getting drenched in heavenly joy and peace. Even in the event of Jesus' birth, this newborn Savior was inviting the weary to peace. He was calling those who are burdened away from their labors and into his powerful presence. I want us to hear that. On the night when Jesus was born, God sought out the weariest of the weary, invited them away from the demands of their work, essentially asked them to entrust the care of their sheep to him and led them to encounter the Christ child who was resting peacefully in a place that was very much like the ones where they had been finding shelter. God said, in order to receive his peace, they needed to pause and praise. And they did. Do we hear that message in 2020? Do we hear the heavenly messengers declaring peace to those on whom God's favor rests Do we hear that if we want to receive God's peace, we might need to entrust our burdens to God for a bit so we can pause and praise? That wasn't just a message for Bethlehem shepherds in the first century, but for those who labor today. I know it's hard. I take my vocation very seriously, but I also know that if I'm not able to step away from time to time in order to pause and praise, that's not a demands-of-the-job problem. That's a me problem. Especially when Scripture has a commandment for rest, but none for me thinking myself indispensable. Here's one of the keys to entering into the rest that Christ would come to offer us, and this is our second lesson. When we know Jesus is in control he can counter our weary worries. When we know Jesus is in control, he can counter our weary worries. Jesus is saying, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. One day within the past couple of years, our son Theo was getting pretty frustrated with his mom because she was giving him some instructions on some things that he needed to do. And when she asked him why he was getting upset, he offered his underfiltered child honesty because you're being bossy. At which point, my wife, Amy, offered a helpful perspective changing correction. She said, I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. I get that sometimes. I want my way, and I don't always get it. I want to have an inexhaustible source of energy and vitality to pour into all areas of my life— my family, my work, community service, hobbies, fitness. Every day, I meet limitations as the list of demands in my life seems to outpace my available energy, time, and abilities, and I get frustrated by that frequently because God's the boss and I'm not. I don't get to control all the variables in my life. God is the boss. And I can respond in a couple of different ways to that. I can bask in the frustration at my lack of total control over my circumstances. Or I can accept the grace of knowing that I don't have to be in control of all my circumstances. That, in fact, the world can keep on spinning, and I don't have to pretend that I power the generator that keeps it running. The rat race is not the treadmill that powers the earth's rotation on its axis. Jesus emphasized his authority in this situation to reinforce that for us. He is trustworthy. He has the power and authority of God. And Jesus was proving again and again how he could care for people according to their needs. But pride and insecurity both feed our need to overexert. Pride needs everyone to know how great I am. Pride declares, I am wonderful, I know I'm wonderful, and my colleagues couldn't possibly get by without me. Insecurity, everyone, insecurity needs everyone to know that I'm not as bad as I fear I am. Insecurity whispers, I am worthless. I don't have skills, so I have to look busy all the time so people don't think I'm totally useless. Both are untrue, and both are equally effective at wearing people out. Neither are God's intent or plan. You know why you don't drive tired? Because tired drivers have reduced reaction times, and they aren't making the best decisions. The chances of an accident that could do harm to yourself or others is greatly increased. Worn-out and burned-out Christians do something similar. Worn-out and burned-out Christians develop shorter fuses, and they more readily lash out in anger. Worn-out Christians develop bitterness and resentment against those who aren't laboring like they're laboring, and it harbors frustration in their hearts. Worn-out and burned-out Christians are more susceptible to lapses in judgment and moral compromise, and any one of those things can do damage to the way that we're called to represent Christ to the world. It can cause harm in our relationships and can cause disillusionment for those who see our failures as a means to dismiss faith as hypocrisy. Ultimately, our worn out and burned out Christians reveal something about how we trust God, or more to the point, how we refuse to trust God. Why does Jesus point to his authority? Because Like those sheep, rest more easily knowing that the cave is safeguarded by a sentry shepherd who keeps watch. We have a God who keeps watch over us. Like a clean, dry, and fed newborn in the arms of a caring parent. Like Grogu in the care of Dinger in the Mandalorian, you can rest knowing that you've got a powerful caregiver looking out for you and your needs will be met. It's not laziness to require sufficient rest. It's not weakness to focus a day on God your health, and your peace, it's hardwired into us. We're not robots or machines. Just as we're designed to love and to choose love, we're also designed to experience a flow of labor and rest. Here's where that feels a bit like gospel freedom. This is our third lesson this morning. Christ sets us free from the frustrations of just try harder. Christ sets us free from the frustrations of just try harder. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How many of you have breathed a sigh of relief this year that you don't have to... Entertain near as many people as you have in previous years because you won't be seeing them in person or you won't be having them over to your place. There's no shame in that. Somehow, we took this season where our Lord introduced the free gift of saving grace into our world and we turned it into yet another chance to overload ourselves with showcasing gifts, our culinary delights, or home decorations, both inside and out. There isn't anything wrong with doing those things as long as those things don't become your captors, as long as those things aren't driving you away from the presence of Jesus and the chance to find that gift of rest that God is extending to you. Still today, Jesus invites us to come to him if we're weary, if we're carrying burdens, and I know you are. He gives us rest, and here's how. We always carry about six plastic tubs of decorations up from storage and the basement to the main level, and I dread that haul every year, but it's always worth it because ultimately the result is fun and beautiful. And partly because Amy does most of the decorating, almost all of the decorating. But there are years when I can find a volunteer to hold one side of those containers as they go up and down the stairs. It's not that I can't do it, but it's admittedly easier when I've got someone I can share the load with. Usually it's one of the kids helping, and they count on me to do the lion's share of the heavy lifting, and they make navigating the stairs a lot more manageable. And when Jesus calls me, when Jesus calls us to take up his yoke, it means that I become the kid needing the strength of the one who is more powerful and who has the greater wisdom to guide. I still have a part that's mine to do, but the heaviest lifting is done by the Christ who pronounced the authority his heavenly Father has entrusted to him. And when I do trust like Christ like that, when I do strap into the harness that Jesus talks about here, I'm awed by the strength of God. Absolutely awed. And Christ demonstrates humility in that though our burdens are heavy to us and though they may seem light to an omnipotent God, the Lord still desires to serve us by carrying those burdens with us. Yoked together together, so we can learn the pace and patterns of our Savior. I urge you in this season, if you feel weary, try this. Ask yourself, am I striving and wearying to please my God or other people? Am I striving for things that aren't lasting, that don't ultimately matter? Do I feel like I'm striving all by myself? If we're trying to please God, understand that the birth of Jesus Christ is God's way of saying, I have given you the most precious and matchless gift to let you know that I couldn't possibly love you more. You are loved, and you don't need to earn my love. It is a gift freely given. If you're striving to please other people, let's make sure that we're doing it out of the deep well of love that God has for our family, our friends, and our neighbors, and not because we think we have something to prove to anyone. If we're wearing wearing ourselves out for things that don't last, take a moment to let Christ shift your perspective. The season of Christmas is a great time to look up to the heavens and see the stars that started shining lights that reach our eyes perhaps a hundred years later. They'll likely burn long after our sojourn on this planet is done. Don't break yourself for something that will end up being terribly temporary when Christ has created you for eternity. And if you're feeling alone as you carry your burden, reach out to Jesus. He calls you to come to him and ask him to help you know his presence. Name your burdens before the Lord, sure, But instead of focusing on the size of your challenges, focus on the greatness of our God. We're a weary world. We're often held captive by the tyranny of busyness, but Jesus' birth reminds us and gives us fresh emphasis to the fact that we don't have to be kept chained to an exhausting pace. Come to him. Let him walk alongside you and carry your burden with you. Let him give you rest. Rest for your soul and experience the freedom that Jesus has come to provide. We move now to a time of our love feast, a chance that we have to offer ourselves in gratitude and experience the nearness of Christ. And so... I'll invite us to share in some time of giving thanks, to pray together our confession, to receive God's gracious pardon, and to share something that we are thankful for. And so I'll invite us to begin with a song, a table blessing, and so you're invited to sing along. The lyrics are on your screen. At our table, Lord, be here and everywhere adored. Your creatures bless and grant that we may feast in fellowship with Thee. Amen. Now please join in the confession of sin. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us to now be reconciled with one another so we can once again dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the covering of pride and put on Christ so we would forgive and be forgiven through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Scripture reminds us that our God, who is faithful and just, If we confess our sins, we'll forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. We have a chance now, if you have something to eat and something to drink nearby, this is a chance to give thanks and to share in that meal. And so I invite you, if you're by yourself, just say something that you're thankful to God for. And if you're with others, then you have an opportunity to share your thankfulness to God with those who are in your group. And so I am thankful today for the beauty of this Christmas season and the joy that it can bring. Now it's your turn. Share something you're grateful for and let's join together in this holy meal of gratitude.